in these tumultuous times, chaos is preeminent. Misinformation is rampant. Confusion reigns supreme. However, there is a light in the darkness. Voices in the vast cosmic silence. Yea, though a vast cultural wasteland threatens to tear apart the very fabric of our existence, like so much shredded wheat, especially after it's been sitting in the dome for a while. There exists a possibility of redemption. The wisdom of the ages in teeny, tiny, bi-weekly doses. The geeks explain it all. Another fun-filled, fact-filled, comic-filled episode of Geeks Explain It All. I'm your illustrious host, Stratosphere. Across the Wayback Machine for me is my partner in crime, low these many years, D-Dub. How's it going, folks? And today, because you demanded it, well, that's a lie, but we demanded it. We're part two of our ongoing series of the history of comic books. This week, we're doing the Silver Age. And because the Silver Age is so ginormous, we are only doing part of it. We are doing the Marvel Comics side of uh, the Silver Age of comics. Right. And now, technically, the Silver Age did... The Silver Age, especially of superhero comics, actually started with the other company, being DC. Yes. But... Or National Periodical Publications, as it was called then. Right. But we're going to... Uh, we decided we'd much rather talk about Marvel first. And it's interesting because, uh, as I said, DC was called that. If you uh, if you look at some of the legal stuff involved at the time of the Silver Age, I think Marvel was still called was actually Atlas Comics for a while. Uh, Atlas, I believe, some of the stuff actually did say Timely still. Well, the Timely stuff was back from the Golden Age, but I think they went through kind of a uh, a wasteland type of era where it was, you know, it. it it was all reprint comics and stuff like that, but they went under the Atlas for uh, company logo thing. You right. Know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I could look it up, the first two comics that were actually called Marvel. But you know what? I don't feel like it. Okay. Because <laughs> that's how we roll. Anyway, so the the Silver Age of comic books, Marvel style, has to start properly with the the world's greatest comic magazine, or so it said on the front cover of every issue, The Fantastic Four. Now, my own personal 
first exposure to the Fantastic Four would have been the Hanna-Barbera cartoon series. The Fantastic Four, starring Reed Richards, Sue Richards, Johnny Storm, Ben Grimm. Reed Richards with his power to stretch. The Thing with the strength of a thousand men. Johnny, flame on, Torch, and Sue, the Invisible Girl. The Fantastic Four, united in their fight against interplanetary evil. Fantastic! Now, that would be the one that actually had the, the human torch and not Herbie the robot? That would be correct. This okay. was uh, in the 60s, I want to say 66, 67, which was actually a good six years afterwards. But that got me hooked on the Fantastic Four right there. As a matter of fact, when we first started collecting, or I should say when I first started collecting, because you'd been collecting a bit before me, um, the one comic that I followed religiously was Fantastic Four. Now, what what era of Fantastic Four would that have been? Who, who was the primary artist at that time? Uh, Do you give me some perspective here? Because I kind of remember from when we were kids who was... Uh, I believe that would be George Perez was the uh, oh artist my. at the time. And the 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 inker, the longtime inker, would have been Joe Sinnott. Okay, fine um, quality work. Now, And no, they're not just tracers. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, if you were to see, for example, John, uh, if you saw John Byrne drawing the thing yeah. and inking himself, and you saw a the same picture inked by Joe Sinnott, very distinct style. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I always remember with uh, the Fantastic Four, I remember that one that you're talking about, the original Hanna-Barbera, because I, I thought, even though I had no desire to set myself on fire as some moronic busybodies seem to think, but I always thought the coolest bit about that was Johnny Storm yelling, Flame on! Right. Now, just an interesting little aside there. The gentleman, and I don't remember his name, and maybe I'll look it up later. Maybe I'll look it up later. I probably won't, though. Um, but the gentleman did the voice of Reed Richards also did the voice on the... Let me see. When... They had the Filmation Superman series where they'd had the additional the additional heroes show up. He did the voice of Green Lantern. Oh, okay. Um, but going some more hairstyles too, so you know, well, that's true. I see that. Um, well, Green Lantern later in life had a uh, gray streak on his temples. Yes, he did. Uh, I think. You know, I think. Yeah, when they got to the uh, parallax uh, situation. Yep. Yeah. But going back to Fantastic Four. Um, oh, and another oh, another voiceover uh, thing. Uh, Ted Cassidy, who uh, played Lurch on The Adams Family, if I'm not mistaken, did the voice of The Thing. Uh, no, he did the voice of The Thing in the Herbie the Robot cartoons. Oh, okay. this was I some, stand corrected. This was somebody else. Um, now, here's, here's the thing, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, about the Fantastic Four. A lot of the things that people reading comics now 
look at, I'm, and really is commonplace, back at the time, I don't think a lot of current fans realize just how revolutionary the Fantastic Four actually was. They okay. fought among themselves. Well, that was a big trademark. I want to say trademark, cause, but, but it was a big calling card, if you will, of Marvel Comics in general because up to that point, most superheroes, even the old-timely heroes, were all, you know, come on, guys, let's go. You know, it was all very much team unity, but Marvel introduced the uh, the concept of the uh, the troubled superhero, you know, the human superhero. Right. I mean, you had, in every issue, it seemed like the human torch was picking on the thing or the thing was picking on the human torch. Um, and Sue looked worried. That's right. Speaking which, which, oh go ahead. Speaking of Sue, I did, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which at some point we will we will discuss at length. Yeah, the casting of Sue Richards in the last two Fantastic Four movies, Jessica Alba. Yes, I'm not saying that I have no problem with Jessica Alba. As, you know, as an actress, as right. an actress, but I'm sorry. I am a huge Fantastic Four fan. Yes. And that's not Sue. Yeah, she's not soccer mom enough, is she? No. I I think Sue, and this is going to sound like a little bit of a reach, but you know who kind of looks like a slightly older version of Sue to me? Who's that? I believe her name's Julie Bowen from Modern Family. Um, I could see her. The Maybe one who a played younger she, version of her. Yeah. I could see her, or, now, we're getting way off track, but that's what we do here. Did you see this uh, show called No Ordinary Family? Uh, yes, I did. That had Michael Chiklis, if I recall. Yeah, and it had... Uh, and we're staying, on, we're staying on track, folks, because Michael Chiklis played the thing. Yes, okay. Okay, go Yeah, ahead. I, I meant to do that, too. Oh, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the... Um, the actress that plays the mom on there. She also played Darla on um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And she, I thought, would have brought an interesting an interesting feel to any type of a Sue Storm, Sue Richards type of thing. Because she's... Uh, Buffy, she played a totally different type of character. But I felt on, on No Ordinary Family, even though she was supposed to be like a physicist or something... She definitely had that soccer mom kind of vibe. Well, she's supposed to have this hot soccer mom thing, and Jessica Alba is she just she's, looks too exotic. She yeah, she's a supermodel. You, you expect yeah. her to see her walking down the runway with the attitude. Yeah, yeah, she I, just again. I have to fall back on exotic. Yeah, I, I I am in agreement with that, and I I will also agree with what you said. Otherwise, there, there's nothing wrong with Jessica Alba. She's she's definitely hot looking. Probably probably will be for many years. Cause she was great on Dark Angel, what few episodes I saw. Uh, never saw it, heard some nice things, but uh, it was one of those, it was, that was in the pre-DVR days, so, okay. there, you know, in the pre-DVR days, if there was something running opposite uh, what you wanted to watch, you were screwed. So, um, but, uh, okay, so I would say that, and it's also there are an interesting thing about the Fantastic Four particularly Sue Storm hyphen Richards. Rifford. 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 Rifford, the re-grid rug. Ruh-roh. <laughs> Go ahead. 
the thing about her that I find interesting in terms of character growth is that if you look pretty much, I'll, I'll, I'll go on a limb and say almost anything from the original Kirby run, or Jack Kirby, that is, uh, right. run uh, of, of the... 100 thing. plus issues. Yeah. Uh, Sue Storm is like a superhero in name only. I mean, she she's, even for a girl, she's like wimpy. She basically stands there and, and looks worried and contributes like nothing to the game. Well, um, as big a fan as I am, I did not read a lot of the original Stanley Jack Kirby run of Fantastic Four. Oh, okay. I picked it up probably around issue 160. Oh, okay. And I probably, well, wait a minute, no. 148, and I... And I followed it God, straight. How sad through. is it? You know the issue number. Love it. Well, it's not love the first it, issue it. I bought though, because what I did, I bought. Um, I want to say, I started reading it probably about one sixty-five, and then I started going backwards. You know, pick up two issues before that I didn't have, or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually had a run from like one forty-eight through three hundred plus. I've got the whole thing on digital on DVD, so I'm going to make you copies. Just, oh, cool. Yeah, just just, <laughs> just so you can rel- relive your childhood. Not that you don't do that already. Oh, I constantly do. But anyway, back to back to my point. There it goes. Um, I find it interesting that the way she was characterized in more or less the, that entire initial run, she was just such a such Mom. a not, non-character. She was boring. She, she, she just... It was basically... I can't turn invisible fast enough. Yeah. You know, oh, does, what is Reed doing? I'm so worried about him. Now, if you look at Sue Storm today, Sue Storm is arguably the most one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. Well, you know, I remember seeing or making the comment back in, I want to say the 80s, because they kept finding more and more things to do with Sue's powers, and her powers just seemed to multiply or just get more and more powerful. That yeah. yes, she was indeed one of the. You know, they were talking about Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Hell, if Sue if Sue Storm ever went over to the dark side, there'd be some uh, trouble. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. With, again, that was kind of my point: is that if you look at you know the initial characterization of her was almost almost a non-character. I mean, Alicia Masters got was with more action sequences, I think, than than her. But yeah, Sue Storm actually over the years kind of became. I I haven't watched the cur or I haven't read any of the current continuity, so I, I'm kind of at sea here. But I know for a while there, Sue was actually the de facto leader, and actually, you know, like when they went into battle, she was the one. You know, calling the shots. You know, Ben, you do this. Johnny, circle around. Blah blah blah. She, you know, she became quite a strategist when it came to. Uh, and Reed, to, you just hold my handbag. <laughs> let's. I mean, Reed Richards is is so useless. Well, I got to tell you, probably my biggest beef with the first Fantastic Four movie it was the characterization of Reed Richards. He was a doormat. Yeah. And then he could transform into one. Ah, yes, very good. I I I kind of I kind of feel that way 
the the, th- the problem I have with the, I believe it's the second movie. The second movie where they're planning the wedding. Yes. Like the the whole sequence where he's dancing in the nightclub. It's it's just oh that was just a show off special effects. I know, but the the whole movie grinds to a screeching halt when when he does it in terms of you know what's going on. But as it, as you said, we don't want to get too much into the cinematic universe. Let's stick to uh, you know the the original source material, which is kind of what we're going for. Okay. But uh, the Fantastic Four was uh, definitely, a, uh, as you say, groundbreaking in in many many ways. Uh, you know, infighting amongst themselves. They were. I may not be the first ever, but they were one of the first ones I've ever saw where they had no real secret identities. That was certainly innovative. Well, for the first three issues, they didn't even have costumes. Yeah, they kind of green jumpsuits, I believe. Um, In some cases, it was just street clothes. Yeah. And I want to say it was in issue four that they introduced not only the uniforms that were designed by Sue, by the way, but the Fantastic Car and all that as well. Yeah, and then they later, I don't think they mentioned it at the time, but they uh, eventually brought in the concept of unstable molecules. Which I think uh, that might have been a little bit later. But, okay, well, then we'll call, it, we'll call it a retcon. But what's interesting about that is, and this, this goes to a point that we're going to bring up a couple times with some of these initial characters, it is utterly dumbfounding to think that the groundwork that Stan Lee, mainly Jack Kirby, a little bit of Steve Ditko. I think Don Heck did the original Iron Man. But if you look at the groundwork they laid for this cartoon universe, they they introduced concepts that, and they laid a foundation for this universe that is still going on today. I mean, they've they've done some reboots of the Marvel universe here and there. They've tweaked it. But a lot of what Stan Lee and them all did back then, they've just basically built on over the years. And it's f- wild to think that they did this in a matter, basically within about five years of introducing the Fantastic Four, they had the whole thing set up. Well, I believe the Fantastic Four was introduced in 61. Okay. And let me see, 12 issues a year... So Kirby probably was on it till like 69, maybe 70. Okay. Which would be right around the time he changed companies. Um, yeah. yeah. I would say probably by the fourth year, right around the time they hit Fantastic Four number 50. Yeah, the, the Galactus trilogy. Right. That's where they really hit their stride. And it's funny. That, that I, will, I will agree with you, but the reason I, I will agree that they had hit their stride is the fact that I feel like the Galactus trilogy was sort of that's that's one of the things you can show to people who really aren't into comic books and show it how even even with the quote unquote primitive art style of Jack Kirby, which compared with all the graphic novels of today, looks almost Oh yeah, but Well, okay just as an aside, I, my wife is starting to get into comic books. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a blessed man. <laughs> yeah, right now she's going toward Thor, but we, we we're, we're trying to get her into other things. But uh, she she's not a big fan of the early Kirby artwork, so I'm showing her some of, some of the pretty uh, graphic novels to, to get her feet okay. wet. Okay. Well, you know, you've really got her hooked. If you can ever get her to read, The Tick. 
<laughs> I actually got her to watch the show with me a couple of times, and she laughed her ass off. Which but one, the live action or the animated? No, 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 the cartoon. Oh, okay. Oh, the, the one with um, Patrick Warburton. Warburton. Yeah, yeah. That's, I believe, on, it's either on Hulu or Netflix. I can't remember which one. Okay. Yeah, well, like I said, Hulu Plus, we talked about. I, I just, sorry, can't, can't get it to work. Not going to get it to work. Well, but as I said, it's it's utterly astounding the groundwork they laid. And when you think about, you know, they're just kind of doing their job. They're just they're writing, quote unquote, funny books. They actually had a vision that to this again, to this day, they're they're laying some of the ground or they laid some of the groundwork back then that they just have built and built and built on. And one of the things that and we'll get into this in a little bit because we're going to start talking about a couple other ones, is I love the fact that the big thing that plays a part in so many of the early Marvel characters was radiation. Okay, that, that was sort of the, the with, with the exception of, like, Iron Man, that I could, Iron Man and Thor were the only two that were not radiation-based. I mean, you had Daredevil, Hulk, yeah, yeah. Spidey, even FF was... Uh, Cosmic Rays. Cosmic Rays. And... You know, now people in our universe realize that, no, radiation just freaking kills you. It doesn't make you a superhero. Oh, that's true. But I love how they were able to retcon the entire thing to say that, okay, there was like this this weird gene that was put in the human race, and radiation just like accelerates that gene and gives them the superpower. And it's like, that's freaking brilliant that they were able to do that. And really? It, Where did that show up at? Um, I'm not sure when the concept was. You've heard of uh, uh, the Celestials and the Eternals? Yes. Right. Yeah, they laid the seed into humanity, also the Inhumans. Ah. The Inhumans, it just manifested itself earlier. But they I got gotcha. But they kept them so... But every time... Someone gets a power from radiation, which admittedly Marvel has totally gotten away from from that whole concept. But those those early issues, they managed to retro, retro, retroactively uh, change it to say, okay, the radiation didn't give them the power. They had the power. Everybody's got that mutant gene. It's just the radiation causes it to manifest itself. Oh, okay. Now... Celestials and Eternals and all that. That was uh, and that again. That was Kirby. That was now. If I'm not mistaken, that was Kirby after he came back from DC, wasn't it? I believe so. After he had created the new gods and uh, all yeah, that. and it's funny because at the time I wasn't a huge fan of that whole plot line with the Celestials and Eternals because it it very much struck me as okay, this is Marvel's version of the new gods. Okay, but when you step back and look at the big picture, he actually decided to to try and make the whole thing make sense, which if you give that as the explanation, oh, they didn't get, you know, he didn't get his power from a radioactive spider. He had that genetically in him. The radiation plus the spider basically made it manifest itself. That which... Which which also explains how, I mean, how much radiation could this thing have, and yet he's had this power, I mean, whatever version of Spider-Man you're talking about, he has the power for the rest of his life. If it was going to happen in real life, you would think the radiation would fade. I've always thought so. I would think so, too. I'm not sure what... I mean, if you have a radioactive material, it has a half-life of centuries, but, uh, you know, just a 
burst of radiation. I mean, Hiroshima is not uh, radioactive anymore, is it? I don't believe so. Not. That's that's kind of my point. Okay. But with with them retroactively cha- you know, changing the storyline or adding to the storyline is kind of how I look at it. Now it's that everybody has this latent power or some sort of latent power and exposure exposure to the radiation is what makes the power manifest itself. Well, I'll be dipped. Yeah. See? So there's there's definitely a lot of the and like I said, I know you're more the Marvel fan, I'm more the DC fan and you know we we have a lot of respect for that. But that's one thing I admire about Marvel is that they were able to do that and take all these heroes and just kind of make the whole thing make a lot more sense. Works so. for me. Works for me. Um, you see, another, another thing with Marvel that uh, they weren't doing at DC, they'd have story arcs that would go over multiple issues. Yes. DC was pretty much one and done. Uh, one and done, they'd have multi-part within the same issue. You know, Right, w- but um, they might tease Galactus in one issue and he doesn't show up for five or six issues. Yeah, they, they'd have... Uh, in several of them, they'd have background characters. You know, who is who is this mysterious stranger? You know, keep stay tuned to find out. And yeah, like four or five issues later, you know, you'd see, oh, okay, that was actually an important character. Wow. Yeah, and uh, not not only that, but everything wasn't always a nice, clean, happy ending. Yeah, well, that goes back to what we were talking about. How there's there's so much angst on the Marvel side of the equation. And this is a little bit of oversimplification, but tell me if you would agree with this. If you could reduce, if you could kind of reduce the philosophies of Marvel and DC, at least in the Silver Age, I would say Marvel approached it everything from a science standpoint, whereas... I think I see where you're going. DC was big on magic. Yeah, I believe we've had this discussion before, um, but... Yeah, I mean, and not that not that that's good or bad either way. It depends because not everybody's into the same thing. But I would definitely say that Marvel approached everything with that type of a okay. How could how could we actually make this happen? Whereas DC's more of a okay. Let, it, it happened. Yeah. Now I think the only people that were better at pseudo scientific techno babble than the writers at Marvel. Would have been the next generation writers. Um, yeah, you you may be on. I never would have made that comparison. But as far as putting out stuff that may not may not be accurate, but certainly sounds pretty impressive, I, I would say you're 100 percent spot on there. Okay, I actually have a phrase for that. Okay, and I have to take a real quick aside to explain this. Okay, um, one of the things I do as part of my job is I have to explain things to people a lot of times. Okay. And one of, uh, it was a Saturday afternoon and one of the, one of the maintenance men I was working with, cause we were in there on overtime doing something. His wife came in and, um, I asked, I was just talking. I knew her from way back and I, I just had asked, uh, so you live on the second floor, huh? I said, yeah. Well, uh, you know, the electric company's ripping you off. And she said, really? Why is that? I said, well, see, you think you're getting 120 volts out of your receptacles upstairs, right? Okay. 
And she said, yeah. I said, well, you see, gravity, as it tries to you go... You didn't. Hang on. It gets better. Oh, my gravity, God. You're awful. Gravity, as it goes upstairs, or climbs, yeah. it actually loses some voltage. So you're th- you're paying for 120, but you're really only getting about 115 or so. Oh That's God. why when you have a refrigerator on the second floor, sometimes the compressors burn out faster. She looked at me with a stunned look like, really? I said, no, man, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> but <laughs> ultimate, ultimately, I, ca- I came up with a phrase for this. Okay. And for those of you with delicate ears, just cover them for just a second. I call it plausible bullshit. You okay. have to make it sound like you know what you're talking about or that it, it at least sounds reasonable. Well, and it that goes along with one thing I've said for years, and it certainly works for a lot of people. If you're going to lie, lie big. Make make it something because this is this is I've been I've fooled people and been fooled by this concept many times. Is that if you make something that is so grandiose and technical, people don't most people the average person does not believe anyone would go through all the trouble to to lie like that. So oh, it must be true. The devil's in the details. Absolutely. Okay, so. but yeah, they. Very much scientific. I mean, uh, so anyway, speaking of scientific, okay, uh, <laughs> let's talk about our favorite, our favorite scientist, Doctor Bruce Banner. Doctor Banner, doesn't my gamma rays turn into the Hulk? Beat me on gamma rays. Reckon the town with the power of a bull. Ain't no monster round who is as lovable as ever loving Hulk. Hulk. Yeah, yeah, that was a good segue. Oh, nice segue, dude. Um, yeah, well, Banner, I think we had this discussion on another episode. Okay. Um, when he turns into the Hulk, basically he becomes a big mess for the writers because you can only do so much with Hulk smash. Yes, which is why they've gone back and forth between he's he's intelligent, he's not intelligent, he's red, he's gray, he's... Yeah. Well, actually, the red was uh, Thunderbolt Ross. Spoiler alert! Yeah, oh, too late. Yeah, I just I just found out about the existence of Red She Hulk the other day. You ever, you ever seen that? No, I haven't seen that one. That's that's Betsy Ross, actually. Thunderbolt's you know, daughter. You know, here's the thing. I, I never really thought about the whole Betsy Ross thing. You never got the joke of that. <sighs> maybe I'm just thick, or maybe I was just. I noticed it, but it was just sort of like. Uh, okay, cute, whatever. Yeah, okay, well, that's way later. That's like I said, I, I, I got it, it just wasn't terribly funny, so I, did, I never thought it was worth commenting on. Um, I, I like when she was the harpy. That was, that was a really good one. Yeah, and that falls right right about within the thing. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, that was a thing with, uh, again, another radiation-induced uh, thing. So A whole boatload of radiation on that one. Uh yeah, a whole gamma bomb full of uh radiation. And Doc Bruce Banner belted by gamma rays. Yes. And he was still screaming hours later. <laughs> that's why you know, I, I wish that's the one thing they've n- there's been no version of the Hulk done live action that's actually done it right. Because the Bill Bixby version and the two movies, you know, the first movie and then the reboot, they all do it as 
he he just deliberately exposes himself to radiation as opposed to being caught in a blast like right while all the while trying to save someone right which i i think kind of alters the dynamic of the whole thing if if you ask me well but, yeah you certainly have a lot less sympathy for the character doing it yeah it's like dude you you, you brought this on yourself why why are we supposed to feel sorry for you so i i i would I don't want them to do yet another reboot, but it just would have been kind of nice if at some point somebody would have actually... That's, that's another thing that kind of ticks me off about a lot, a, a lot of the cinematic universes is that you've got this executive meddling where they're like, okay, yeah, that's all fine that it stood that way for 30, 40 years, but you know what? It just doesn't work. So we're going to come up with a, a, a thing that makes more sense. I'm like... Dude, I don't read comics to make sense. I, I read comics because superheroes are freaking cool. You know it. It's pure escapism. Exactly. Which, kind of the greater point, is one of the reasons I prefer DC to Marvel is that these, DC is a little more escapism. Marvel goes for more of a hard reality thing, which they do very well, I must say. But I'll admit it. You just like Batmite. Well, who doesn't? Come on. <laughs> I was only trying to hell. And Mr. Mixes Bitlick. I know, I said it right. Wow. Better than I can do. Yeah. So, uh, what else was coming out in that uh, era? I, I tell you, if if it's out of long out of print, but uh, I wish I still had my copy of Origins of Marvel Comics. That, that Oh, yeah. They had uh, Origins, Son of Origins, Bring on the Bad Guys. And the Superhero Women. That's right. Wow. I haven't thought about those books in years. Yeah, I, I was forced to get rid of those under circumstances which are too painful to relate. But uh, <laughs> if I had those now, A, they're, they're brilliant source material because they're written by Stan the Man Lee himself and his his stories of how he came up with all these heroes is just just trivia gold, and they'd also be worth a small fortune today. I'm pretty sure because <laughs> they're. Well, but I um, think I still have the superhero cookbook somewhere. I don't know if it has a. Cover oh God, I forgot about that one. I, I I probably have it somewhere. Wow, I haven't thought about that in years. But um, yeah, the a lot of what they were doing back then was uh, as far as what Stan Lee describes in those books I like I always love Stanley's creative process because he's definitely he definitely likes to whenever possible not repeat himself you know when, when he came up with Hulk he was like well what if we had a superhero that was a monster when he came up with Thor he's like well, what if we had a superhero that was God or a God you know okay. when, he, when he came up with Iron Man what if we had a, a hero that was seconds away from dying at all times when he came up with Daredevil. Okay, what if we had a handicapped superhero? You know, and it, it's just, it's kind of fascinating, and, and, you know, my hat's off to him that, at least in the early days, Stan was always looking to, what can I do that's different? Well, I don't, I don't want to do the same thing I, I've done before. I want to come up with something new. So I, I have a lot of respect for him as far as that goes. Well, you know, a lot of his a lot of his creative process when he was doing a lot of these books, like he'd go to Jack Kirby and say, give him a rough outline of what was going to happen. Yeah, Jack would write it all or would draw it all out, 
And then Stan would go in and put in all the... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And that was... Um, and, you know, that's actually a, a source of controversy for many because there's a lot of people that have been saying for years that Stanley ripped off a lot of what Jack Kirby actually... Which is, is weird because I've never heard those same criticisms come out of the Steve Ditko or Don Heck camp. And well, Steve Ditko, I mean, I believe I read an interview with him. He's like, you know what, is what it is. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a little more laid back about it. Keep in mind how just how many books Kirby had an imprint on. Oh, yeah, well, going back to World War II, you know. Well, yeah, even beyond that. The man created Captain America, come on. Yeah, uh, not only that, but just how many books was he illustrating a month during the heyday of Marvel? I mean, you had Thor, you had Captain America, you had uh, Fantastic Four. Right. uh, Avengers. Yeah, yeah, he did that. I mean, he was probably doing five, six books a month, just that we know of. That's not counting the Western stuff. Oh, yeah, Rawhide Kid and all that. Right. Now, well, that's a lot of cigars, man. Well, you know, the funny <laughs> thing is, um, if you look at a lot of his stuff, he has what what they call like the Kirby Gallery or something like that, where it's like the same six people when they'd look down and they'd be looking up like in awe, except maybe they'd have a cowboy hat on or the yeah. clothes would be different, but it'd be like the same couple of guys. Well, basically all he had to do for uh, the Westerns is just not put the Kirby dots in. Oh, the Kirby Energy Dots, which were adapted by so many people. Oh, yeah. And and if if you really look back then, Kirby did them better than anybody else. Not only that, but machinery. Oh, my God. That, that's, you know, I'm... I'm not always a fan of his style of drawing heroes just because he he gets a little too muscle intense. But when he draws cosmic machinery, I could look at that crap for, for ages. The detail he puts in that, God, I get a headache sometimes looking at his stuff. I mean, you just look at it and you try to figure, what the heck am I looking at? Yeah. And if you didn't have Reed there to tell you what it was. Well, that's about the only thing he's good for. <laughs> Amazing. I've never seen one of these quantum display Julian Fry things. Yeah. And and it's like, oh, my God. So, you know, there were, um, well, okay, and just to set Kirby aside and get to a couple other things you mentioned now, uh, Kirby did the bulk of it, but the the two that I've mentioned, uh, Steve Ditko, the two major things he came up with were, of course, Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches seeds just like flies. Look out, here comes a Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes a Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Welcome, fame, he's ignored. Is his reward to him Life is a great big pain Wherever there's a pain You'll find a Spider-Man 
who was a very innovative uh, superhero for the fact that a he was a teenager, which that that was something that it that other than sidekicks I don't think had ever been done. Yeah, and uh, he also had a lot of problems, and at times it's almost like they just dumped too much on him. Um, yeah, I would say there. If if you look at that those early runs, it's like you know, uh, culminating when um, Gwen Stacy was killed. It's just like, wow, his life sucks in such a major way. Uh, by the way, I just as an aside, I am not done with it yet, but I started watching the Spider-Man reboot. Okay, love the casting on Gwen Stacy. Oh my God, she looks like John Romita. Uh, now, did I? Did I or did I not tell you? You did tell me. Okay. I, I I bow to your superior wisdom because I, I guess that was arguably I, I I like Kirsten Dunst as an actress, but she was so not Mary Jane. No, she just wasn't. Um, okay, it's it's kind of exactly the opposite of when we were talking about Jessica Alba. She doesn't look exotic enough. I mean, Mary Jane eventually was modeling in that. Yeah, and she—I mean—you can't imagine Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst. She's doing too, modeling. She's too uh, girl next door, which maybe may have been what they're <clears throat> may have been what they were going for, but that's not Mary Jane, right? Ab- absolutely, but uh, yeah, w- I'm, I'm watching this thing, and it's like, uh, I'm the, I'm about forty five minutes into it. I'm hopefully going to watch uh, some more tomorrow, but uh, the new Peter Parker. As you as you would point out, like him better than Tobey Maguire. Still not totally buying him as the character, but I'm I'm willing to see where they go with it. But the moment uh, Gwen Stacy, um, I know the actress's name too, and I can't think of. Uh, she was in Easy A. She's been in a lot. I think she was in Zombieland. Okay, I cannot think of her. I still Emma, have not seen Zombieland, but go ahead. Oh, Emma Stone. That's her okay. name. Okay, wonderful actress. Got great. Great comic timing, which, considering this is more of a dramatic role, uh, is really kind of a surprise to see her with that kind of uh, acting chops. But the moment she hits the screen, I'm like, oh, my God, she looks like John Romita Jr. Like, drew her. Senior. Or, or se- senior. is. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. But, uh, oh, my God, she just looks. so. And it's funny because she, the actress is usually a redhead. Okay. I would say... If she had played Mary Jane, it would have worked, because like I said, she's usually uh, the actress usually plays a redhead or auburn-haired. Uh, okay, but they kind of gave her the blonde Gwen Stacy hair. Oh my God, I um, I I am really looking forward to seeing the rest of it now because okay, they did that right. I haven't I haven't gotten to the part where he transforms into the lizard yet, so that to give you some more idea of where I'm at. But okay, like, I I saw it in the theaters, but that was. I don't even remember when it was in the theaters. So I, it's been a while. I can't remember the last thing I saw in the theaters. I think. I think. I think the last Harry Potter movie was the last thing I saw in the theaters. Avengers. Oh, okay, yeah. How quickly they forget. <laughs> it was such a fun time, really. Okay, so you had uh, Steve Ditko doing Spider-Man, which I'm very glad in retrospect that Steve Ditko did Spider-Man instead of Jack Kirby because. Spider-Man is basically a very thin kind of, as uh, as Niles Crane once put it on Frasier, a swimmer's build. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind you of know. like, um, and I hate to jump companies again, but it's like the Flash. The Flash should never be muscular. He should have like a runner's build. 
Same, yeah, same very, concept. Very, you know, well defined, but very slim, very trim. You know, mm-hmm. should should look like, you know, shouldn't look muscle bound, and uh, I don't think Kirby would have pulled that off. I don't. I don't. No, think but if I'm not mistaken, he did the. He actually drew the cover of 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 Amazing Fantasy number fifteen. Oh, the original? That's Kirby doing it? I believe Kirby, yeah. I I believe Steve Ditko got the job drawing Spider-Man because Kirby basically just didn't have time to do it. Oh, okay. I Okay, now, getting back to that Stan Lee book, um, if I'm not mistaken, and I haven't read this thing in like you know, 20, 30 years, but um, the... His his explanation at the time, and keep in mind, Stan Lee is his own best revision, revisionist oh, oh, history. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, Stan's always changing his story, but some some of his stuff is is consistent. At the time, he had said that Jack Lee or Jack Lee, Jack Kirby, did do a couple preliminary sketches for, and he said it was all wrong for the reasons that we just stated. Spider Man looked muscle balanced, like it, it it just it didn't look right. And Steve Ditko is actually very good at drawing very thin, slim characters. I can't think of any character that he ever did that was very muscle bound. Uh, the the only one I can remember he drew an issue of the Hulk annual. I can't imagine Steve Ditko doing the Hulk either. Um, the only thing memorable about the whole thing was like an opening shot where Banner. Banner was passed out in the snow. Okay. Inside the larger outline of the Hulk, the Hulk apparently. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, kind of a Hulk angel. <laughs> kind of, but um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, he's much better with uh, things like that, uh, Spider-Man or his other big one he was doing at the time, which would be Doctor Strange, right? Which is why Fred Hembeck called him Dr. Ditko, Master of the Mystic Artwork. Yeah, he, he t- I tell you, you know, that was always one of the things I loved about uh, Ditko's uh, Dr. Strange is w- when he did the stuff here in this universe, it was kind of run-of-the-mill, but, man, when he went to, like, Dormammu's dimension and stuff like that, it's like, God, he was... And, and the funny thing is, Ditko was notorious for being, like, a conservative straight arrow, so he wasn't doing drugs, but, God, some of that stuff looks tripped out. He had, he had an imagination oh, yeah, that, that, that definitely did. rivaled Kirby's, but in a totally different way, which is really weird. Well, sure, some of the stuff he did over the years, especially once he went to the other company, is, uh, is definitely out there. Yeah. Well, that's a, in in retrospect, I, I liked it at the time. But w- talk, just talking real quickly, uh, when Ditko went to the other company, uh, when he did Shade the Changing Man, that's exactly what I was thinking of. It, I didn't realize it at the time, but if they did a lot of uh, alternate dimension work there, and it's like, oh my God, he it, he could have just lifted it right from uh, an old uh, straight Strange Tales. Is that who did uh, Doctor Strange? It's possible. Yeah. It, it was pretty much lifted right out of there uh, as far as the the overall look of it. So, interesting stuff. And I think the only other yeah. ma- major 
hero from the the early Marvel pantheon that was not done by either of them is that uh, Don Heck did uh, the original Iron Man run. Right. Um, now, I will say that, especially later in his career, when he was doing uh, Flash and some other stuff, yeah. I was not a big fan of Don Heck's. He, Don Heck can be very good, but he has to have the, the right inker. Yeah, matter of fact, this this is a weird little story. Let me see if you remember this. We we were at some sort of a convention. I don't know what it was. It may have been like a, a, an overinflated Saturday's Child type of thing. But they were having an auction. Do you remember the auction? It was a creation convention in uh, downtown downtown Cleveland. Okay, yeah, Creation Con. And they were having an auction. And they were auctioning artwork. And... Uh, I remember, yeah, because I was trying to bid on a piece of Teen Titans. Now this was pre George Perez, okay, and I almost had it. And then this—I got to watch my language. I, uh, this guy walks up to the front, announces it was a piece of Gil Kane. Yeah, and suddenly it just exploded. I wanted to. Yeah, because because th- that that person whose parents were never married. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You like that one? Yeah, well, you I'm sure you can see it on my face just uh what I yeah. wanted to say. He's he's turning about the same shade as his his uh Indians logo hat. <laughs> um but the same thing happened to me because uh I I don't remember what the character was, but the piece of artwork that I was bidding on long story short turned out to be John Byrne and I was one bid I, I i was i was going into the uh going going i was up to the second going and then that same little oh he was not little well li- little in 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 i, I don't know i i am losing my metaphorical uh powers of description but he, he, he okay was, i'm gonna say it he was a small-minded man let's let's okay yeah go ahead and say okay. it Move out of your parents' basement, you little bastard. Anyway. There you go. Okay. Well well said, sir. Huzzah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, he did the same thing. Goes up, you know, adjusts his, adjust his little glasses, if you recall that. Mm-hmm. And and he goes, oh, yeah, that's definitely John Byrne. And kaboom, s- kaboom, kaboom. Yeah, sudden, suddenly people who were falling asleep were bidding on this thing. I think they wind up getting about 500 and I had about I, I would have gotten the thing for about $20. Yeah. And y- y- say what you will about John Byrne, getting a piece of his artwork for $20 at that time, I, I probably could put my daughter through college right now. <laughs> oh, you're probably right. Uh, but uh, the the reason for this story is I was so frustrated that I wound up uh, bidding, not because I particularly wanted it, but I didn't want to leave empty-handed. I got a piece of original artwork from the Flash's, uh, from Don Heck's run on the Flash. Oh, okay. I seem to recall that. Which I, I, I no longer have. That got lost to the sands of time as so many of my stuff has gone. But that's the only reason I had that was because I was just, okay, I'm just going to bid on that just so I don't walk away with nothing. I got to have something. That's right. Yeah, I had. I think at that same auction, I ended up with a what's his name, uh, Alex Saviak, inked by Vince Coletta, 
It was original Green Lantern from a backup story. Oh, yeah. Boy, that's a name. Alex Saviak. Boy, I remember. He had some nice stuff, as I recall. Yeah, he did a lot of... Um, and I, I, I got to co- say... A lot of covers. Vinnie Coletta has been one of my favorite... Was one of my favorite inkers back in the day. I, I love some of the stuff. He did some stuff with Dick Giordano that was really good stuff. Yeah, I mean, he had a way of... Um, how can I put this? He would... Um, he brought out he brought out what the artist was putting there. He he kind of didn't really put much of his own stamp on it, but that was kind of his genius. He would he would soften some of it and tighten up some of it. Yeah, he just had this way. I mean, he didn't use a real heavy line, but now since we're talking inkers here, I have to I have to tell you who my least favorite inker in time, space, or all dimension is. Okay, Jack Abel. Oh, yeah. He looked like your stereotypical tracer. Yeah. Especially in the eyes. Uh, he did a lot of stuff. He did a lot of stuff, Freedom Fighters and and that. And if you look at this stuff, I mean, it, he was a tracer. Yeah. I, I Boy. Boy, you know, that's where we haven't talked uh, hard-nosed comic stuff like, like ours and that, I think, in, like, forever. So that, that's kind of funny talking about... Uh, some of that stuff. And, okay, the whole Tracer thing. Um, I've actually inked some comic book pages. Okay. I gave them back to Harvey okay. so he can finish them. Otherwise known um, as Justice Boy. No, that's actually or, Blue Bolt. Or Blue Bolt. Oh. Who's? who's Justice Boy is JB. Oh, okay. Right. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Friends, Sorry, Har- Sorry, guys. Friends of mine, fellow superheroes. But, um... Uh, Really, just from doing that, the inking that I had done, uh-huh. I can, I can see how people can go either way with it. You know, they might see something that they feel that they can improve on a little bit, right? Or in some cases, you know, just stick to what's on the page. But well, again, the that's that's one of the reasons I I particularly liked uh, Vinnie Coletta for the simple fact that. He he didn't really he didn't eliminate the drawing underneath, but he didn't exactly trace it either. He he just kind of took what was there and made it a little better. Yeah, I I mean I'm kind of oversimplifying it. It's really hard to describe in front of you, but I, that's what because I've seen some of the stuff that he like I said uh, I remember he he did some really nice work with Dick Giordano. I want to say on Legion. Possibly. It's entirely possible. But I know that he was he was the primary inker on um, the Thor stuff. Okay, or the Kirby Thor stuff, I should say. Yeah, but as I said, he kind of just kind of brought out some nice qualities, but it it didn't look heavy handed, like you said, like like Jack Abel. It looked like he was. Uh, it, it kept looking. <laughs> I hate to say it. It looked like he, his pen was malfunctioning because there'd be like these black splotches all over everything. <laughs> it's like, can, can I get a new cartridge? This one's not working. Here, let me get out my lighter. I'll get it to work better. <laughs> <laughs> I asked for India ink and all I want to do is give me these damn flare pens. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. Uh... So now that we've discussed that, get this train back on. Uh, really, you're talking about Don Heck. 
before we went off on the oh yeah that, we were talking about uh, his original run on Iron Man right which you know it's getting back to something you said a little bit ago by the time he had gotten to the Flash and some of the other things he was doing over at, uh, over at DC his style had had deteriorated so much he did I believe honestly he did some Supergirl uh, for Superman family I was looking through some issues of those the oh, other really? day yeah and and again just not so past his prime and and it's really he he died a few years ago and and it's sad that his talent had deteriorated by the time he died but man you look at those early uh, uh those early issues of Iron Man Tales of Suspense I think is where he premiered right before uh before Iron Man got his own book and Gene the Dean Colon took over yeah see now I'm in retrospect I'm really not a fan of Gene Colon I, I I read uh, he did Howard the Duck, which at the time I loved, but boy, his his stuff is just so dark and murky. It looks like see, he, but it was it was perfect when he was doing Tomb of Dracula. Yeah, but the problem is he do everything that way, and and well, now you see, uh, actually, on another thing like uh, Daredevil, I mean, with Daredevil being blind, yeah, it could kind of work. I guess, but I don't know. Just but again, not not my cup again. Inkers. Well, and you, again, what's funny about this is this is all revisionist history on my part because I loved it at the time. But now that I've uh, have the capacity to download a lot of, because I had given, I basically gave away my entire comic book collection uh, to the Bun Brothers mainly. But now that I have a chance to get it all back in digital form, I'm looking at this stuff and it's like, wow, I like this. I, I, I'm. It was sort of a why did I like this? I really don't like this his style so much. And it's not against, against the person, but uh, just a lot of his stuff is just so murky and, and I don't know, not my cup of tea anymore. Yeah, well, you know, I always felt kind of the same way about Iron Man. I was never a very big Iron Man fan at all. Right. Uh, closest I ever came was when Bob Layton was working on him in, I want to say, early 80s. Was right that was that before or after Demon in a Bottle, or around I, that time? Uh, Leighton actually inked Demon in a Bottle. Okay, all right. So you're you're talking about that time period, right? Uh, I like the way Iron Man looked. Uh, the stories were were pretty good. Yeah. Uh, See now, it, it's funny. You know, my wife doesn't isn't quite up to discussing artists and and all that. She's she's more trying to get into the storylines, but. She absolutely loves Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man just because he's a freaking smartass all the time. Well, yeah, I mean, he definitely uh, works. Uh, it, 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 and it's I, I was fully prepared to go into the original Iron Man movie hating it. Well, and, and it's weird, too, because really Tony Stark was never played that way. He He was actually more of a Bruce Wayne type. He was sort of a... played him as a... a Bored playboy that did did know some tech, but he he really was kind of a one dimensional character. More more his alter ego Iron Man was really where all the characterization kind of came in. As as memory serves me, I I, yeah, I like mean, yourself. I really was. It was never something that I like. Never missed an issue of. 
Not like yeah. not like you with Fantastic Four. I mean, I I do remember that from back in the day. If you if you could only afford one comic that month, you were getting Fantastic oh, Four. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Had to know what was going on. Right. Uh, but it's in. I, I kind of agree as far as when I heard Robert Downey Jr. was going to play him, I was like, okay, physical type. This could work, but especially. Well, pretty much for all of his career, Robert Downey Jr. has always played that type of magnificent bastard type. That's an interesting way of putting it. But yeah, okay. You got to start reading TV tropes, dude. You 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 you, 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 you will <laughs> learn these terms. But yeah, that, I'll, that, I'll add it to the rest of my to do list. I'm never going to get around to. <laughs> yeah, sure. If you're adding stuff to that, why not add more? But yeah, he he just this very very well spoken, but completely arrogant. Again, magnificent bastard, guy who's really got it going on, but he's just so full of himself. He's played that character in everything I've ever seen him in, arguably. And I was expecting that type of portrayal of it, but damn it, it works somehow with, with Tony Stark. I, I don't know what it is. Even, and this is, this is a point we brought up before, too, I had a real problem with the fact that in the movies, Tony Stark revealed that he was Iron Man, because for the law, I don't know if it, if he's revealed it in the current comic continuity, but I know for the longest time, that was one of the best kept secrets in the Marvel Universe. Everyone thought Iron Man was Tony Stark's bodyguard. No one knew. Pepper Potts didn't even know. So right. when when you end the first movie and begin the second movie with, okay, everybody knows now, I actually, it took me until like two weeks ago to even watch Iron Man 2 because I was like, nope, you're doing it wrong. I, I just I just boycotted the whole thing. But now my wife and my daughter really wanted to start get into the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. They, lo- okay. they love the Avengers and they're like, we want more. And so I watched Iron Man 2 and when you just put that little thing about his identity aside and just watch it for just just as you know a superhero movie it's actually pretty pretty darn enjoyable is it the best movie ever i would say no, no. sam is, rockwell was really good <laughs> uh he was surprisingly good and i'm not a fan of his i i hated i despised his version of, of zephyr bebelbrox in hitchhiker's guide i agree with that oh my god i i wish you could just cut him out of every frame of that movie he ruins that movie like nobody's business i do however uh like but, his portrayal of Guy in Galaxy Quest. Ah, oh God! It's been so many years since I saw Galaxy Quest. He was like the, he was like the guy that got killed off in an episode and was like a hanger on. Oh, okay. I just watched it uh, about two weeks ago with the wife. It's on Netflix. Am I am I right on that? I I thought I saw it when I was. I surf- have the I have the disc at home. I don't know. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, I. Oh God, Hitchhiker's Guide. You, to get off on one of our many tangents. You know, I love the original series so much, and I was prepared to not like the movie, and I actually don't even have so much a problem with the black guy as Ford Prefect, because he actually doesn't is not half bad, considering uh, it seems like stunt casting for some strange reason. But I was okay with him as Ford Prefect, but Sam Rockwell as, as Zaphod is just so bloody awful. The movie comes to a screeching halt 
every, every time he's yeah, on I screen. Yeah, I mean, uh, Martin Freeman is Arthur. Work, I, I can deal with that. And, you know, you, you can't. it's physically impossible to not love Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I adore Zoe Deschanel. I've, I've seen her in like a zillion things, and she's just so watchable. <laughs> Plus, she's a big geek like the rest of us. Uh, this is true, which which makes her even hotter somehow. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, we've we've talked about a lot of these characters, and like I said, just to kind of somehow get back to what I, the point I had made earlier. What was great about Marvel is just the groundwork they laid and the universe that they came up with. That still to this day, a lot of the characters. You know, go back to those early issues that Stan Lee and the different artists. Uh, and, you know, one of the reasons that the Silver Age kind of ended, for them anyway, was Kirby leaving because of different disputes with, with Stan Lee. And pretty much Jack, once Jack Kirby stopped coming up with new ideas for Marvel, I think is when they kind of, the era was kind of ending. Yeah, I mean, you did have folks like uh, Roy Thomas and that. that yeah, the new were, kids, as I yeah. like. As a matter of fact, I think a lot of times they referred to, uh, you know, you had, you had, who did you have? You had uh, Roy Thomas. There was, Rascally Roy. Yeah, Rascally Roy Thomas. But they, they had like about four or five guys that all came came up together, and they that kind of laid the foundation for what we will, I guess, one day do a show on the Bronze Age, which is like, you know, this. Pri- I would go with from 1970 to sometime in the 80s. Um, okay. Okay. What, what, I would say, take it to the point to where, okay, how's this for a great cutoff? Okay. When Byrne and Austin left X-Men. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, because that laid the foundation for a lot of the, what 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 they started doing after that laid the foundation for what the for the for the in my opinion mess that they have today. <laughs> Works for me. So much like we're doing on the other podcast, we're going to lay out our next two episodes for you. Okay, now. Next week is going to be, or next week, next, next episode, episode is going to be a lot of fun because it's kind of a theme week on on our sister podcast, Sec- uh, The Secret Layer Drive-In. Is that what we're calling it now? That's what we're calling it now. Okay. Because we can call it whatever we want. And on that one, we're doing a tribute to uh, surf music. That's or no, right. wait, wait. We're doing, we're doing Horror Party Beach on that. What we're doing, uh, God, I hate when I do that. On Secret Lair Drive-In, we're doing Horror of Party Beach. And on the very next episode of Geeks Explain It All, we're doing our tribute to surf Surf music. music. And it is probably going to be about 12 degrees outside and snowing. So everybody needs to to get some fun in the sun and think warm thoughts. So we're going to lead that attack. Now, just real quick so I know, and so we have it down here, are we going to go strictly instrumental, or are we also going to include some of the vocal groups? We are going to touch on some of the vocal groups. The I I will say that the the bulk of it will be about the instrumental, and we're we're going to be editing in some nice nice choice cuts 
for your uh, listening, dancing, and dining pleasure. That's right. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely some of the vocal groups that deserve to be mentioned because that was considered surf music, but there's there's certain aspects of those surf groups that definitely is not surf music. So, Okay, well, that's enough about that one. And in the episode after that, Unless my notes are mistaken, which you you have your notes and I don't, so well um, I have them on my desk back at the secret lair. Okay, we, see we're recording in the Strat Cave, folks. Yes, um, if I'm not mistaken, my notes say, uh, well, let's just call it "Gone Before Their Time," short-lived series we loved, or ah, shows that yes, were that's canceled. Right. Shows that were canceled way too quick. Yes, and. The, the, my original pitch to uh, D-Dub was, okay, let's let's pick three or four series. If you could somehow magically wish these series into exist back into existence, even for just one episode, which ones w- would you bring back? Okay, and anyone out there that has suggestions for topics, maybe you have a comment or question for your Geekus Emeritus, D-Dub and Stratosphere, you can address them to... Uh, geeks explain it all dot blogspot dot com or you can contact us uh, via email at geeks explain it all at gmail dot com as always like us on Facebook if you have not already and start looking out for us on some of the other uh, subscription services yeah that's hopefully we'll have those sometime over the next couple of weeks yeah just just as a quick aside, we know we've been having some difficulties uh getting the show to be picked up on iTunes as it was, so we are in the process of overhauling the geeks explain it all or the Gaia Gaia network. I kind of like Gaia okay it works for me okay so the the Gaia network uh we are looking to overhaul the entire network in terms of both branding and distribution. We are examining other avenues other than iTunes, and we hope in the coming weeks we will have some exciting information for you to uh, access the show, as I know most of you love doing. Yep, and if you're interested in being a part of the Gaia Network, contact us at either secretlayerpodcast at gmail.com or all. At gmail.com. And until next time, remember, just because it's pop, don't mean it ain't culture. Bye, kids. Bye. Stand a little straighter, walk a little prouder, be an innovator, laugh a little louder, grow forever greater, we can show you how to. Be a little wiser. Try to be judicious. Be a good advisor.